Blog Talk Radio. monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month, uh, our guest is Dr. Kyla Wallstrom, uh, who is a senior research fellow at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Welcome, Kyla. We're really glad to have you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and thank you for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad that you have joined us. And today, we're going to uh, discuss some of the work of uh, Dr. Wallstrom, uh, who has been looking at the impact of later start times on the academic achievement of students and um, uh, in high school uh, specifically, um, and has uh, um, received awards for her research um, at the University of Minnesota. And so, um, uh, Kyla, I just want to uh, welcome you again and um, ask you to tell us in, uh, a little bit about your organization and the work that you've been doing uh, in this area. Sure. Well, um, I have been studying, if you can imagine, this topic of the outcomes for later schools, high school starting times, since 1996. So that's just about 20 years. It's Mm -hmm. amazing to think that 20 years has passed by since I got the first request here at the University of Minnesota when I was the director of the research center called CARI, Center for Applied Research and Educational Improvement. And I got a call at that time in 96 from an area superintendent whose school board had just decided to move their high schools to a later starting time because one of their school board members, who was a physician, had been at a medical meeting and had heard the newest and latest information about the brain development of teenagers. And this board member was very concerned about what he had heard about the the teen brain development and the effect that their early starting time had had on their students. So the board decided and voted upon making the change from 7.15 to 8.30 for the Edina schools in 1996. And I was called at the University of Minnesota to do the uh, evaluation to find out if this is really making a difference for their students. And I need to tell you that at that time I was quite skeptical that this was something that was going to have any effect on students. I had been a school principal and a teacher administrator for almost 20 years prior to this time of 96, and I was just quite surprised that this was something that that they thought was going to make a difference. Well, I have to tell you that it was amazing when I went into the school, talked to the principal, talked to the teachers, the students, the parents, and it was an overwhelmingly positive response to the change in uh, the later starting time. I started writing up the information, just as I would as a researcher, and Minneapolis Public Schools was reading the research reports and decided, hey, this is really remarkable, what's happening in the suburb, maybe we should try it. And so in 1997, Minneapolis Public Schools made the shift for their students, and at that time in Minneapolis, it affected 52,000 students in that time change. 
and they shifted to a start time of 840. Okay. So this was really quite um, quite a, a, the beginning of the revolution. And what's important, and as I go forward telling you about some of the things we have found, the thing that's really driving this is the medical information about the development of the uh, teenage brain. And the, the medical people will tell you that teenagers have a different sleep-wake cycle, and it isn't because they're lazy. It's just because their brains actually, and this is true for teenagers across the world, it isn't just American teens, have this sleep phase shift where they're not able to fall asleep much before 11 p.m., and they're not brain, the brain is not able to wake up until 8 in the morning. So anytime wow. you are teaching a class that starts before 8 in the morning, the teenage brain is still asleep, and that's why many, many, many high school teachers will say their first hour, there's just a bunch of zombies sitting in front of them in their first hour. So if we have all this information about the teenage brain and it's becoming more and more robust, the the research on uh, the brain from the medical standpoint is very clear. It's incontrovertible. It's it's the way it is for all teenage brains. So in 2009, I was granted a grant from the Centers for Disease Control uh, and Prevention in Atlanta, and the CDC was concerned about this becoming a public health crisis because Mm -hmm. teenagers were involved in drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, car accidents, and so on, all of which was related to early starts and a lack of sleep. And so then I did the study that lasted four years uh, across the United States, looking at the outcomes, and we indeed found continued incredible positives. And now we have statistical proof that this not only improves their students' grades and academic performance, but we also know that it reduces the use of drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, um, and depression, as well as reduces car accidents for teens. So the health and academic benefits for the later starting time from the research standpoint are clear, and there's nothing that really has been um, shown out there to be something that would be even make it questionable because it's a real positive um, change for students. Sure. And, and so you've, you've talked to uh, educational leaders. I'll start there, superintendents and, and others, and, and um, presented this, research and and actually from the the medical side what what kind of responses are you getting from people well you know it's it's like uh you'd kind of expect the um the school people and the school board members superintendents and so on are incredibly interested in learning about this on the one hand but on the other hand are also grappling with the uh difficulty of making a change and change is hard it's just it's just a fact of life that making a change is hard and schools and school starting and ending times set a pattern or a rhythm in a community and so to consider making this change the school board people that I've talked to and I probably I'm not kidding I've probably been called by at least 300 or 400 superintendents over the course of the past 20 years wondering about how to make the change why has this change uh, seemed to be uh, so important and and ideas for what to do to help them make that change within their community so it's um, it's driving a lot of conversations Yes, and and you know, you're one of the one of the common things that happens is that often 
our practices in education uh, and decisions, uh, the way we, we carry things out, have little to nothing to do with what's in the best interest of the students. Um, I am a former school board member uh, for many years, former, I was on the board of directors for NSBA, and I know this mm. was something that came before us before um, on, that, on that board. Uh, the, the counter to it is that, uh, you know, people have to make decisions about how much it costs to change um, start times based on a transportation costs sure. and contracts have to do with the way um, the way that's structured. And so for those of you out in the audience who may not be aware of this, that buses are reused. And so they start out with the the older students, uh, presumably because they can be outside earlier waiting on buses, um, and then the younger children can be. Uh, and so the, the they start with high school, and those students get delivered, and then the buses loop back out, um, and and start with picking up younger children, and then they go out um, into the schools. And and but that has nothing to do with the research that you just mentioned at all. Um, right. And 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 for some in some areas, it's it's a considerable difference in terms of what it would take to accomplish this but yeah. uh, and that's not making excuses but that's that's a reality for the way some of them see it what are you what are you hearing in that regard well, you know, and um, I totally understand that. Having been a special ed director for years, I, I'm aware of how the need for buses and and the bus schedules are really the ones that sort of rule the world, if you will, in schools. Um, but what we did find, and this is true in both Minneapolis, where there are 52,000 students, and then the students in the Edina schools, if they just flipped the buses, which they did, so they, they put the buses out first to pick up the elementary students, then mm-hmm. the high schoolers, and then the middle schoolers, okay, um, and there is, the, of course, the concern about the elementary students being out in the dark in the morning. But what Minneapolis did, which I think worked really well, is parents with enough notice, and they had um, at least six months or nine months notice before the time change happened, they were able to form parent what uh, block club watches and this was in all parts of the very very urban area of Minneapolis and so we had parents on a Monday say a Mrs. Smith took Monday morning and Mr. Hernandez took on Tuesday morning and so on so there were parents that were out there standing um, one day a week each parent taking a, a turn to watch the kids at the bus stop so that really helped the concerns about the safety on the bus stop the other thing that's important is when we know about what we know about the medical information about the teen brain we also know that young children and anybody who's been a parent of young kids young children are very capable of getting up very early and they're very ready for learning even if we as adults aren't ready to be teaching them but they are ready for learning at say 7 seven thirty easily and so the the elementary schools when they made the shift to the early starting time it was difficult for those the teachers to make the shift for the first year but they loved it because the kids were so much more ready and eager for learning the little ones in the elementary schools with the with the flipping of the buses to the earlier time. So both Minneapolis and, and other school districts have been able to do this when they just turn their 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 starting times um backwards and then flip their their uh, tiered busing around at no cost. 
So there, that has been actually done at zero cost. So the, the belief yes. that it's going to cost something is not necessarily true from what we found. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we have Dr. Kyla Wallstrom, who is a senior research fellow at the University of Minnesota, and we are talking about uh, the impact of later high school start times on health and academic performance. Uh, we've actually um, only scratched the surface a little bit um, about um, some of the what what I'll, I'll phrase loosely as attitudinal changes. I do want to dig a little bit um, because there were there were really strong references at the beginning, and I, I as a person who's been involved in public health also for um, a couple of decades, that the the public health nature of an impact of not getting enough rest and its uh, long term health uh, outcomes uh, is is serious. And so um, before we talk about the academic performance part, what are some of the health um, outcomes that can be adversely affected and and as you have researched and and heard from um, medical professionals also about this? Exactly. Well, it's pretty clear from the medical standpoint when – um, the teenage brain, or any, any actually even the adult brain, when the brain is deprived of sleep, the brain does not make good choices. I mean, you are, you're really um, affecting your ability to make good choices, good rational choices. And so what happens in the case of teenagers is they will make choices that are not healthy, and they are much more likely to uh, choose to use cigarettes, to engage in uh, experimental drug use, um, even sexual activity is increased with the lack of sleep because it has to do with the mechanisms in the brain having to do with um, ability to sort out what is a good choice and what is not a good choice. So certainly the, um, the issues of health are, are paramount with, with a lack of sleep. And in fact, the key amount of sleep that seems to be the tipping point for choice making and bad choice making is eight hours. So it's very clear that the research is is telling us that teens that get less than eight hours are by far statistically more significantly likely to do not good things, such as try out drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, and so on. Whereas when you get eight or more hours of sleep, the incidence of the use of those things plus the incidence of depression remarkably improves. Mm. Interesting, interesting. And I, at the university, I teach uh, courses in decision-making, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, ours, uh, the course I teach is about from, from the standpoint of uh, leadership, but the same applies. We spend a lot of time talking about physiologically um, what happens when you don't have enough rest, what you eat, and other things. And so um, that, that I, I agree um, with with your position on that, and and certainly uh, have seen similar reports uh, of studies uh, that that support that notion. So as we, I'd like to also then uh, shift a little bit and talk about because in your report, uh, for those of you um, who may have heard me earlier mention that uh, Dr. Wallstrom has um, produced an uh, award-winning report on this. Um, we will uh, post a link to on our website 
um, to this report that's dated uh, February 2014. Um, it's titled Examining the Impact of Later High School Start Times on the Health and Academic Performance of High School Students, a multi-site study. And so um, the other component to this that was in the study was about academic performance. For some uh, people, both on the practitioner side and the public uh, policy side of uh, from school board members or even city council or others want to hear the bottom line that this is not just about um, uh, the social component, but how does this really impact academics? And so if you could tell us a little bit about what you found and how this impacts academic outcomes. Sure. Well, it's interesting because what we found when we looked at the grades earned um, before and after the time change was made, we started to see a pretty clear pattern. And the pattern that emerged was that the starting time of 8.30 or later had by far the most statistically significant positive outcomes for grades earned, performance on nationally standardized tests such as the ACT and the statewide achievement tests that every state is uh, giving to their students. So it's, it's interesting. We looked at starting times that began at 7.30, 8, 8.05, 8.10, 8.35, 8.55 was the latest. And with every increment of later time, we found more improvement in the students' grades earned with, again, the, the kind of clear marker point of the greatest improvement happened when classes started at 8.30 or later, which wow. actually totally fits in with what we know about the teenage brain. So if the brain is actually awake as of 8 a.m. and say they're, they're getting to school and they're sitting down in their first hour class at 8.25 or 8.30, they're, they're awake <laughs> and they're ready for learning. So um, it's it's pretty much fits with what we know again about the structure and the the, the rhythm of the um, of the teenage brain in terms of its wanting to be asleep until eight in the morning. Sure, sure, and we can't underestimate the the importance of thinking about um, how how they best function and mm -hmm. what, the, what has been clear in a number of research studies in terms of the physiology of the brain that these are not, um, these are not just uh, preferences in a lot of cases um, with, with the teenagers. Now, of course, there's a continuum. So you'll find some uh, teenagers that work that are just fine So that in, at that time of day. But what we're talking about is over a population of students that you, you find that, that you produce better outcomes and better both from an academic and a health standpoint for, for the group as a whole when you have these um, later start times. Um, Absolutely. So just, just thinking about some solutions to this. So um, for the, the board member that might be listening or even the, the principal or mm -hmm. superintendent, I'm just thinking about um, – what do you suggest if people aren't quite sold on it? You know, you got these reports, but they uh, maybe you know we we're different. You know, I hear that a lot when <laughs> I do too. <laughs> where you know it's not like that here. It, it's our kids are different. Is that mm -hmm. do you suggest that they at least pilot it? I mean, what what would that look like for someone who 
just needs to do their own investigation of this. Would right. should they do a classroom or two? What do you suggest for them? Well, you know, I think what's really and that's a very important next step question is so what to do with this information? And um, what we have found is that. Because, like I said earlier, that change is really tough on a school and a school district because it's changing the rhythm and the patterns of other starting times, perhaps, of your middle school and your elementary schools. So to begin, a school district needs to start with the research information, and that includes both the academic information that my studies have done, but clearly the information from the medical people. Because I'm not an MD, I, you know, I look at and read a lot of the medical research that's available. It's written in lay language for people to understand. Because teenagers aren't just lazy and just not going to bed. They physiologically cannot fall asleep before 11, the vast majority. Now, and realize Mm -hmm. that my study involved 9,000 students. So this is wow. clearly affecting a lot of students. Now, sure, that said, sure. the, once the, the school board, the superintendent and, and principal and other leaders really start to read through and look at the research, I would suggest then convening a community uh, stakeholder group to talk about it. You need to have parents and students there talking about how this will affect things such as after-school activities and sports. We've looked at all those things. They've not been negatively affected. Adjustments have been made across the continuum, like you said, of all of the different activities. And when a school district decides to make a change, they need to make the change. You'll need to make it for the entire high school. Obviously, it doesn't work to do one or two classes, but it also doesn't work to to, you know, slowly, incrementally, like five minutes one year and five minutes the next year, because it's just, it is making this change is disruptive to families. So once you know that and accept it and realize that this is still beneficial for the health of your students, then you decide what's the latest optimal time you in your district can make with the change. And then you go for it and then you decide to have the community input along with this so that everybody is informed along the way. That's really, really important. The one place of all of the places I know of in the country, and there's been hundreds and hundreds of schools that have made this change, the one place where it failed was they didn't involve the community. The decision was made by a board in June for a September change, and the parents were just totally thrown off, you know, thrown off of the whole, their normal uh, planning for their work and so on. And Yeah. But otherwise, if there's adequate planning, adequate notice, the time change is just something that can happen with a lot of conversation. Mm, okay. Interesting. Thank you. And then the other question I had was, you're a teacher and a principal in a district um, that they haven't made a decision or to even study it, to try it, um, and it doesn't look like any where any time in the near future people are going to do anything about this. Um, how can this research inform them in terms of how they uh, structure school days, understanding that it's the students, so they have to be there at 7, 7.15, 7.30, um, is what time school has been mandated to start. Um, how else can they use this research to inform what they what they do in the school day. Well, you know, I think it's really important. I'm a real believer in in the supporting and the power of the students themselves. They need to know about their own body and their own biology. 
And what I've found in places where there's been either a lack of movement or resistance even um, to making the changes, when, I mean, students, when they realize that this is their brain and if their brain is not going to be well-rested to be, it improves memory and learning, the, the sleep does. It improves how the, the students look, how they feel. So students themselves, I think, need to know how their brain is reacting to a lack of sleep. And to that said, I mean, there's no way you can have all of your first-hour classes be homeroom or advisory. I mean, you're going to have to have some academic subjects that start early, and that, that's where the rubber hits the road. It makes it tough for those learners at that time of the day. It's just there's no real way around that other than allowing the students to sleep uh, to their natural wake time as close as possible. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. That, that says a lot in terms of how important it is for us to, to pay attention to this. Um, I have had a number of my colleagues who are school board members who have struggled with it. They have been made aware of the research and um, have, and have also taken it seriously and are just wondering how they can begin to, to make the adjustment. Um, you, you mentioned something very important, that rolling this out in a way that gets your community, you mentioned the community stakeholders, but that gets your community involved is, yeah. is, is critical to this, yeah. the, kind of the success of this, that um, the reality is that there are schedules, there are work mm-hmm. uh, arrangements that have to be made in a lot of cases, and so we, you know, not... Um, living in a utopia, we understand no. that, um, but we we also want the best for what would be both academic and long-term social and health outcomes for children. For sure. um, and, and so what are some resources that you would recommend in addition to uh, the report? Again, we're going to put the report up on the website, the link to the report, mm-hmm. about examining the start times. But um, you also have an organization. Um, you want to tell us about that and, and, and give us an update on what, what is the real progress that is being made around the country um, to get this uh, more in the forefront? Right. Well, you know, I think the the one website, and this is not my organization per se, but it's an organization that has really put a lot of resources right up online for people to use, and it's called startschoollater.net. Start school. It's all one, all the words together. Startschoollater.net, and on that website you will find tons of research information from both medical people and school people like myself. You'll find testimonials from various districts across the United States of how they've made it work and that what they've struggled with in terms of making it all happen. Um, so there are organizations because there has been changes that have been made in 44 states. Um, wow. And like I said, hundreds of school districts. So this is not something that just there are one or two or three Minnesota districts, but this is across the United States. It's a pretty mm-hmm. large movement, and sure. good resources sure. are available. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come out and, and talk to us about this very important um, uh, school education issue and, and certainly something for our educational leaders grapple with out there. Uh, we, we thank you for being here. Um, 
um, like to bring your attention to those of you listening. Um, next month, we have uh, a show that we're going to talk about the importance of civics education and why civics education is more important than ever before in this upcoming election. We have um, Dr. Louise Dubé, uh, who is the uh, executive director of iCivics Project. And so that show next month is going to be on September 14th at 2 p.m. And so um, we, we had with us today uh, uh, Dr. Kyla Wallstrom um, from the University of Minnesota. Uh, thanks again, Kyla, for being here. Um, continue the great work that you're doing, and we hope to have you back on again soon. And to my listeners, go well. Stay well. Thank you.